Father, we come to this time in the service when we open your word and glean from its pages everlasting truth, spiritual food for our inner man, instruction for our hearts and minds. We ask you to touch us during these next few moments and grace us with your presence and hallow these premises with your Holy Spirit. Touch us now, O God, as we proceed into your courts of praise and thanksgiving and worship. And we want to learn from you, O God, and we ask you to touch our hearts as we open our minds in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Turn to Romans chapter 4. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to read with me, I think I'm reading a New King James Version uh, here. If you've got a... Uh, NASB or a K N K V, whatever all the initials are, New King James, Newly Revised, New American Standard. Amen. Those are all very good translations that I just called out to you. They're very accurate to the original language. <coughs> Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found... For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Praise the Lord. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Well, that's a strong verse, isn't it? To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. He's talking about spirituality, and he's talking about the difference between working uh, works righteousness and a righteousness based upon what Jesus did at Calvary. He says to him that worketh not, or a person that depends upon grace, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Is counted for righteousness. Faith is counted for righteousness. What's powerful, isn't it? That God somewhere has a depository, amen, that counted things uh, mount up as faith is appropriated. Wow saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Can anybody say amen? amen. Blessed is the man or woman to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Or in other words, hold you accountable for sin in your past. Blessed is that person who has come to a relationship with God where his sins are eternally gone and forgiven through the grace of God and the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or Jewish people only, or upon the uncircumcision, which is Gentiles also. For we say that faith was reckoned unto Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? And when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision, 
and he received the sign of circumcision, which is a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. Now, circumcision is a sign of covenant. It's not covenant. It's a sign of covenant. It is part of a, a works situation where you obey what God uh, tells you to do. God uh, gave him uh, instruction to circumcise all the males at a certain place at a certain time in order to achieve a certain goal. And that is that they would constantly be reminded that they are people of covenant. Amen. Uh, unlike us who have every kind of information tool in the world that tells you you're a person of covenant, they had to have some visible sign, and that was the sign. Verse 12, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham which he had being yet uncircumcised he had faith being yet uncircumcised in other words before he ever performed the rite of the sign of covenant he had faith I said he had faith before he obeyed with the practice with the cutting of himself he first had faith before that point so then faith does not come by works of righteousness. The Bible said, not by works of righteousness, which he have done hath he saved us, but by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The washing of regeneration and the renewing of the, the Holy Ghost. For the promise, verse 13, for the promise. Anybody know about the promise? The promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, all of that was true, but not through the law. But it was given through the righteousness of faith. What that means is that all of us, every one of us who are people of faith, have to name Abraham as our father. He is the father of of all the faithful. Praise the Lord. He is the person uh, who originally was called the friend of God. He is the person with whom God said, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the heavens will I give unto thee shall be of thy seed and I will be a blessing to all nations of the earth because of you, through Abraham, I will be a blessing to all the world. Isn't that a great promise? And isn't that a great covenant that God says, I will promise you that I am going to bless you. And the blessing that I bless you with is going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Is that the way it works? That God blesses you to bless others? That God uses your obedience and your faith to build faith and build obedience in others who are around you, in your family, in your friends, in your circle of activity. That God uses you as an instrument to build faith, amen, so that people can obtain promises of God. Do you have a promise? 
about eight or ten of us do. So it's going to be one of those kind of Sunday mornings, huh? I'm going to be one of them. All right, let me get my tough shoes on then. Every person in this house has a promise of God. Every person in this house has a promise of God. Every Christian in this house has obtained a promise of God. A promise. I cited one of them not long into this message. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll go with you all the way, even under the end of the world. Another promise, he'll not take his hand off of you until he finishes what he hath begun in you. Oh, there are, the Bible said there are various and sundry promises in the Word of God. It was one uh, writer that wrote there were how many thousand promises was it? The number evades me right now, but it was a huge sum, a startling number, an astounding number of promises, just the promises of God. I've got that book in my library, and I'll look it up when I get home. It says all the promises of God on the cover. Wow. God has given us so many promises that they print books and put them in books. Just promises. God has given to us the promise that he will return one day. He's coming back. And the Bible said the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And that word is singular, isn't it? One of them. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Wow. I just pulled the leg out from under somebody's table. Because you've always quoted that plural. and said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. But I'm sorry, it's single. But I'll give you another one to take its place so your table won't fall. All the promises of God are yea and amen. So there's you a leg for your table. Let me take that other one and let me use it. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What is the one all-consuming promise of God that uh, applies to every one of us? It occurred when he led them out. And he said to every one of the disciples, he said, I am going to the Father. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's the great promise is that he's coming back. If he's not coming back, brother, there's no need in us being here this morning wasting this electricity. There's no need for us to have went to the bother to get ready and come if he's not coming back. But I want to assure you, friend, he is coming back. The promise to Abraham was the covenantal promise that he will bless him. And uh, he said, whithersoever you set your foot, I will, I will give you that promise that he should be the heir of the world. God made him the heir of all things. It was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, then faith is made void. And the promise is made of none effect. If it can be done by obeying rules, if it can be done by, by submitting to a discipline, if it can be done by walking a certain walk and looking a certain way and, 
uh, performing certain ways and talking certain ways, if it can be done through that kind of uh, law-keeping and works righteousness, then there's no need for a promise and there's no need for faith and there's no need for a, all of those things because they are all null and void if you can work your way into heaven. But you can never gain entrance into heaven by works righteousness. All of my attempts, all of my efforts at righteousness are of naught. They come to nothing. Because there's no way other than to trust the righteousness of Jesus that he imparts unto us. That's the only way I can have any kind of personal righteousness is to trust Jesus and to trust the righteousness that Jesus has given to me in him. The Bible said that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. That the blood of his cross has cleansed us from all iniquity and he has purified unto himself a peculiar people that are zealous of good works. And that word peculiar, again, does not mean weird. What it means is unique, that we are people of a kind. There's none other like us. There's none other that is born of the Spirit, born of the blood. There is none other that has achieved redemption and pardoned from all iniquity through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is not another people like that people. They are the peculiar people of God, I call them. They're a royal priesthood, chosen generation. God has made covenant with them that he will never abandon them and that he will come one day to redeem us unto himself. For they which are the law, if they be heirs, faith is void. Verse 15, because the law worketh wrath. In other words, if you've got a law, there's going to be transgressors. And if you've got rules, there's somebody going to break them. If you're going to get there on credit, then somebody's not going to pay. Amen. That verse right there talks about the wrath. For with the law worketh wrath. It means there's a penalty to pay for breaking the law. For where there is no law... There is no transgression. Therefore, because you got to have a law to give a structure, but transgression of that law is sin. And it says, therefore, it is of faith, not of works righteousness, but it is of faith that it might be by grace. It is by faith that it might be by grace. Boy, that's powerful by faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all of the seed of Abraham not to that only which is of the law but to that which also is of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all somebody say that the father of us all wow spiritually we have a father whose name is Abraham. And we are people of covenant because we're the children of Abraham. Praise God. And when God found Abraham, he was an idle, toting heathen. 
wandering across the plains of Chaldea of the Ur of Ur. He was a, a idolater. He didn't know anything about a deity. And the Bible said when God found him on the backside of Midian in a desert wilderness, first thing God said to him was, let's get you out of here. Get up and go. Genesis 12, 1. God said to Abraham, get up and go. So what did he do? Fourth verse said, he got up and went. Amen. First thing God brought about in the transition of Abraham is change his surroundings. Did you know that's so important for you? It is so important for you to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith God. Now that's not talking about isolationism. And that's not uh, talking about just becoming an island, as someone would say. That's not what that means. Because if you're an island and never associate with anybody, you won't win anybody to God. I said if you're an island to yourself and you're li living life for yourself, you won't win anybody to God. In fact, they might win you. Amen. That's why it's so important for you to change your surroundings. God said, get out of that place where you're living. You're living in a land of paganism and idolatry. You need to get out of there and go to a place that I will show you. Praise God. God's got a place. I said, God's got a place. And when he tells you to come out of somewhere, he's about to take you into somewhere. And where he's taking you into is so much better than what he took you out of, you'll want to stay. Hallelujah. Well, that's good. Give God some praise. Hallelujah. Therefore, it's of faith that it might be by grace. To that end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, because he's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead. Quickens the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. That's what faith does. It takes those things that be not as though they were. Take something that it looks impossible, but trust God to do it. Now, I've been doing a whole lot of that here lately because I've realized you, you come to a time in your walk with God where there's some identity there. You see, Abraham was given a promise, and I want to tell you something. I, I wish that I could tell you this happened quick. But this didn't happen quick. What God told him, you're going to be a father of many nations. And there came a time in his life when he said to God, God, for all practical purposes, I am dead. I don't have any power in my loins. I don't have any ability to father a child. 
I've got no more power. I've got no more ability. It's not within the realm of possibility that I can father a child. It's not going to happen. Well, he's nearly a hundred. His wife is 90. And she's laughing at the promise of God. It's become so funny and hilarious. Now it's become a joke. Sometimes when you're waiting on God for a promise, you'll become so familiar with it, it'll just become a story you tell or something to laugh at or something to doubt or something to make remarks about. God told me I was going to have a baby too, but hey, this old gal's 90 years old, you know. Dead. Is that not what, he, what the scripture said? Dead. Dead said, 17th verse, I have made thee a father before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead. Paul. What do you mean, quickeneth the dead? God quickens dead things? God looks into our lives and finds dead things and makes them come to life? You mean that God is a resurrection kind of God? You mean God is an Easter Sunday kind of God? You mean that God takes things that people have given up on who feel like it's never going to happen and God changes things and it happens? Well, we've got a dead Abraham and we've got a dead woman who says it's not going to happen. And suddenly one day some folks came by to visit. They didn't recognize who they were, but they were special assignment angels that had come by because the Lord told them. And Sarah has hid back in a closet somewhere and she wants to eavesdrop and find out what's going on. Come on, women. Her husband's out there talking about having babies. And she's back here, hid behind the curtain, eavesdropping, wondering what they're going to say about me. And the angel said, about this time next year. How many times have you been told next time? Next time. Next year, about this time, you're going to have a baby. And by now, it had become so preposterous to her that the Bible said she, ah, ha, 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 ha. Somebody's been telling these guys our joke. And the angel said, you just named your baby. Call him Isaac. Because that means laughter. Laughter. Well, 
Sarah had even got to the place that she felt like the promise needed some help. She felt like the promise was not happening quick enough. And she finally came up with a scheme. And she said to her husband, Abraham, said, Abraham, said, we brought a little Egyptian handmaid named Hagar up out of Egypt when we went down there, you know, in the very beginning of this whole ordeal. And we brought her up out of Egypt, and she's been our, our servant. Why don't, if the promise is not going to work the way I want it to work, and it's not going to work the way we think that it's supposed to work, then why don't we just come up with a way to make it work? Why don't we just give God a little help? Good place to say amen. How many times have you knelt down? Now, God, let me give you a little help about this. Uh, that payment's due on Monday morning. I'd like to have that in my account by Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. She goes and announces her plan and says, Hagar, you're going to be a surrogate mother. We're, we're going we're to make this thing happen, and, and you're going to have Abraham a, a, a baby. And the Bible said when she went to Abraham, Abraham said, I don't know about this now. I, I tell you what, but uh, if that's what you want to do, okay. One woman in the kitchen is good. Two women in the kitchen Come on, y'all got a little more life than that about you. You know that saying, don't you? Two women in the kitchen don't, don't work. So wasn't long before Sarai comes into Abraham and says to her, him, Abraham, that woman's got to get out of my kitchen. We got to do something about that woman in my kitchen. Send her away. You know, so many folks think they can solve their problem if we just send something or somebody away. Just get this out of the way. Get that out of the way. Get him out of the way. Get her out of the way. Get that job out of the way. Get this. Solve everything. Well, here is Sarah, and she thinks she's got the problem solved, and Hagar is out, runs out, and she makes it to the well, and an angel comes, and the angel says, Go back and submit yourself to Sarah. Boy. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Sister Hagar... I'd say, that mean woman, you're sending me back to that house where that mean woman is? Come on, somebody. All right, all right. Dead 
Abraham, dead Sarah, dead things everywhere. But God said, he's the one that makes dead things alive. 17th verse, he quickeneth the dead and he calleth those things which be not as though they were. You see, God specializes in bringing things to life that you've written off. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. He hoped against hope. He believed in hope. Wow. You know, the Bible tells us that when we were estranged from God, if when we were enemies, I believe it's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, he talks about a, a terrible thing, that a picture of a former heathen condition of the Ephesians and the Romans and the Galatians and the Colossians, all to whom he wrote letters. And he said to them that they were without Christ, without Christ. Now, I would be lost and I would be wretched and I would be terrible if I was without Christ. If I was alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, put that up there for me, honey, Ephesians 2, 19. If you are estranged from God and there is no fellowship with God, if you're without Christ, and then he said alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, in other words, that means that you're not a part of God's covenantal people, the commonwealth of Israel. Amen. That you're not a part of that. Strangers and foreigners, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's talking about what he has made us to be. To be the strangers no more, pilgrims no more, but now have been made people of God, citizens of God. Listen to me. I am a citizen of heaven i'm also in the flesh a citizen of the united states of america i am an american in fact i am a native american wow and don't you shoot at me yes i'm an engine but you know what he said if you're lost and you're estranged from god he said they're lost and they're having no hope without God in this world, a stranger to the covenant of promise, lost and without hope, without hope. But here he's changed that whole situation that you're no more a stranger and no more a foreigner, but now you're a fellow citizen. Hey, I'm a citizen. You a citizen? Then we're fellow citizens. Touch your neighbor and say, are you a fellow citizen? A fellow citizen. Wow. That means that you've accepted God's wonderful provision of grace. Verse 20, it says, he staggered not at the promise of God. Staggered not at the promise of God. Staggered. That means that you've lost strength. It means that you have no energy to, to motivate. Hey, brother, when you get old, you get to where you 
don't have a lot of strength. But if you've got strength and if you've got, you just walk right through something, you take it for granted. I just, I remember when I used to run up and down these steps right here like a chicken. I don't do that anymore. One, I got better sense. <clears throat> he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory unto God. Now, Paul, why are you writing all of this about Abraham and writing all of this about his condition and how he trying to overcome and himself and get to a place where he could believe God. He staggered not at the promise through unbelief and he was giving glory to God and being fully persuaded. Oh, I love fully persuaded, don't you? Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Ooh. Fully persuaded that what God promises, he will do. And therefore it was imputed unto righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. You mean this whole letter you've been reading so far, Pastor, is for me? Yes. Why does God want me to know all of that stuff in that letter? Why is it for me also, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed? If we believe, if we believe, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus. Oh, there it is. Resurrection. You see that there in verse 24? But for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. You mean promises are kept by God when I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and he that believeth in him though he were dead yet shall he live again. Hey, Promises are realized and promises come true when we take the power of his resurrection and apply them to ourselves and believing promises for our life. For our life. Now, this is what we call the Roman letter. It is a Roman, the Roman epistle. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. Now, Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. And when he gave the, the Great Commission, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Go and preach and go and make disciples. When Paul became acquainted with Rome, he came to know Rome as the epicenter of Christianity. I believe with all my heart that God wanted Jerusalem to be the epicenter of Christianity. God desired that Jewish people would accept his son Jesus. 
God sent his son into the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the promise of a Messiah. We could go through all of those messianic prophecies of Isaiah, Zechariah, Micah, a man shall be for your peace. We could go through all of that, but you've heard it before at Christmases many, many times that God promised that a deliverer will come. That in the last days, saith the Lord, I will raise up a ruler. I will, his rod will be of the hand. He will be of the stem of Jesse, and he'll be a rod of renown. All of those prophetic utterances concerning Jesus were fulfilled, but they were promises to Jewish people. They were promises that God made to Jewish people. Even Jesus said, salvation is of the Jews. And God wanted Jerusalem to be the place. The epicenter. And that from Jerusalem into Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth that the gospel message would go out that his people, his covenant people would do it. But they rejected the Lord Jesus. Came unto his own, but his own received him not. He wanted Jerusalem to be the place, but Jerusalem didn't meet the challenge. And the challenge shifted. And when Paul first saw Rome, he realized this is the seat of government in this world. The Roman Empire ruled the whole world. In fact, the Senate, the Caesars, all of that pieces of that story all let us know that Rome was a cosmopolitan city. It was a city that if you were to, to appraise it, you would look at it much like one of the great cities of the world today. You would see a, a great diversity of population. Have you been to New York? One, two, three. Debbie's not here. Get her name in the, in the pot. She loves New York. Thing about New York is you can go ride down the street and you'll hear three languages before you go a block. It's very cosmopolitan. There's all, people from all over the world. You'll hear a, a man yelling in Spanish. You'll hear a, a guy unloading a crate and he's Swahili. You'll, go, you'll hear people from all over the world. It's such a cosmopolitan city. It's made up of so many different nationalities there. Rome was like that. Rome was just like that. Rome had people from all over the world, had a reputation for being the seat of government of all of the world. What a great city. It's called the Eternal City. Rome, the Eternal City. The, the City of Seven Hills, it's called. It's the place where the Caesars and the generals would ride their white horses and come in in the parades after they had, had crushed a, a country and would take them the spoils and they would bring the, the prisoners in uh, walking along in the parade wearing their, their bonds as a symbol to all of the citizens of Rome. Here's a knocker in this whole story. Paul was a Jew a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. 
met all the things concerning the law. He said, concerning the law, I lack nothing. But somehow along the way, Saul of Tarsus became a citizen of Rome. Goodness. How in the world, Pastor, did, did that happen? How did he become a citizen of Rome? Well, that's one of those questions on my list when we get there that I'd like to know. How did, how did you pull that off? Because when they, were, when they were fussing and fighting about what to do with him, he said, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. I'm a citizen of Rome, and as a citizen of Rome, you can't do anything with me. I appeal to Caesar. Goodness. He realized, Paul did, that, that Rome was going to become the epicenter of the Christian faith. I believe it was Peter that first made it to Rome and got the message to Rome first. Peter was the one that first met with that humble little group there that later even became a part of Caesar's own household, part of the church that was in Rome. And you know, Peter, his gift from God was grace. His gift that God gave to him was mercy. Mercy and grace. Well, you know, mercy is the anointing. Grace is the anointing. Peter had great anointing. He had great enthusiasm. He was so vociferous that he had an opinion and he, and he spoke it. When he liked something, he really liked it. And when he was doing something, he really did it with all of his might. He was the kind of person that was so impulsive, he would jump right into a situation. And such was the ministry there in, in Rome when he established the church there. But Paul, his gift is something else. His gift is doctrine. His gift is theology. Because if you don't believe right, you see, you can make all those attempts in works righteousness, but if you never believe right, then all of that is for nothing. And all of that good things that you do and all of those deeds that you care, all of that is for naught if you don't have the right faith and the right doctrine and the right, right theology. And that's what Paul's gift, his intelligence, his uh, ability to... Uh, explain the gift of God, explain the promise of God, his explaining right here about the covenant of Abraham, his teaching the Jewish people about how uh, Christianity should function and how that Jesus and Jesus shed blood for the remission of our sin is so important for every one of us. You see, if you don't mix good theology and good doctrine, then you get a, a fleshly thing, a feeling, Mercy. Peter's gift was mercy. But he needed truth to go with his gift. God would complicate, complement, I started to say complicate. 
Now that's what we do. God would complement Peter's ministry with Paul's ministry. Peter's ministry was grace and mercy. Book, chapter, verse, Pastor. John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh, Jesus. Became flesh, and we beheld Him as of the only begotten of the Father, full of... Ah, oh, you chickens, come on. What did we behold about Jesus? I might as well just hang this phone up. This line just went dead. Full of grace and full of truth. Lord, you've heard that 150, 200 times since you've been at harvest. Surely because I say that all the time. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Truth and grace. Good doctrine, good theology, and good mercy, good anointing, good grace. You know what I found out? I found out that people that were raised in a rigid church situation, a kind of situation where discipline and rules and that kind of thing, it's hard for them to understand the real grace of God. Brother, God's grace is so abundant, I really can't explain to you how that God's grace functions so marvelously and exonerates people and forgives people, makes people whole again it's just marvelous but i i'm serious mark and what I, what i'm saying people that were raised to be real rigid they have a hard time accepting that god you see that that was the problem with the jews do you you know come on olivia come on don't y'all y'all really glad she's coming <laughs> yeah. The grace of God. The Jews looked at that situation with Gentiles and they they really couldn't understand. They couldn't understand because they were so arrogant about being the people of God. That they did you know what they called Gentiles? Dogs. Call me a dog. They called all Gentiles dogs. And they could not believe that a, a God, creator God, that made these promises to Abraham would take the children's meat and give it to the dogs. In fact, an Orthodox Jew would break his plate before he would eat with any one of us in this house. 
they hate Gentiles that much. I'm serious. And this Pharisee of the Pharisees, the writer of all of these letters, the architect of the early church, calls himself the apostle to the dogs. The apostle to the Gentiles. You know, so many times it's easy for us to limit God's grace. God can do this, but he can't do that. God could never forgive that. God could never be merciful with that. God could never extend that deep, that far, that high, that, that low. God could never do We We place those limitations on God as if we're the ones that determine how much His grace can forgive and how much His mercy can forgive. And as Paul said it, you can't achieve that righteousness by passing laws and making lines in the sand and dare someone to step over it. I went to a church one time and a man told me he wanted to see me. I went down to his house and he said to me, if you don't get this singer and that singer off that stage and never let them sing again, I'll never be back. I went to a church one time where a guy in the foyer had taken another brother by the nap of the neck and slammed him up against the wall and took a knife out and told him, I'll cut your throat. Went to church one time to a church where a man said, if you ever pre told that preacher, said, if you ever preach that sermon again, I'll take my fist and I'll knock you out of the pulpit. It's hard for people who are come out of rigid, hard to deal with the grace of God. That the grace of God is as all-encompassing as it is. There is not a sin that cannot be forgiven if a person humbles himself before God and asks sincerely. And that's tough. You know, for us, and a lot of people can rest in their righteousness. I don't know what liquor tastes like. Susan, I've never had a drink in my life, honey. I've never been drunk. Nobody's ever had to come get me because I couldn't drive home. I've never smoked, I've never dipped, I've never chewed. So y'all didn't know there's one of them still in the world, did you? 
And see, if, if you want to think that you can achieve righteousness by a clean slate, and sometimes it, you, you'll feel like, well, God, how in the world can you forgive somebody out there that's lived like a heathen all their life? And sometimes that, that feeling of, of works righteousness Look at what I have done in order to be righteous. But all of those attempts at righteousness are futile. The Bible called them filthy rags. Folks, because it's just the grace of God and the anointing of God. Now I want to tell you, Paul was trying to get to Rome. Stand with me. Last point in the message. Paul determined the destiny of God was for him to go to Rome. Paul's last trip to Rome cost him his life. But on his way to get to the place of destiny, there were all kind of storms, wasn't they, Don? Storms that almost sunk the ship. I'm talking about storms that when they finally run up on the shore, the ship broke apart. And they only made it because they grabbed a plank a piece of the ship that made it back to the shore. That's the only way they made it. And as soon as they made it to the shore and the storm kind of ceased a little bit, next thing you know, he gets snake bit. There'll be all kind of things to keep you from getting to the place where God wants you. There'll be all kind of storms on your way to get to where God wants to use you. There'll be all kind of snakes and all kind of things happen that you'll wonder what in the world is going on. But faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. I said he will do it. I said he will do it. Thank you, God, for letting us be in your house today. Thank you, O Lord, for this wonderful congregation, this great time we've had today in the Word of God. Now, I ask you to go home with us now and keep us safe from harm and danger. Give us an enjoyable time with our family and our friends. And bless, O Lord, the work of God and the kingdom in this church. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you and God go with you as you go about your day.